Hello to all the listeners of the okayest podcast out of the greatest state in the union, the Game Fishing Park, South Dakota podcast and blast. I got a pretty cool one for you today. We're going to talk to Derek Clawitter, who is a program guy at the outdoor campus East in Sioux Falls, and he's going to talk to me and relay some information to you about what to do if you have an emergency when you are outside. That's right, we're talking potty outside. And from there, we're going to go and jump to a co-worker, Hillary Mori, who works for Game Fishing Parks, but we're going to talk to her a little bit about her job, but about some dog training. So stay tuned. It's a good one. Welcome, welcome to this edition of the South Dakota Game, Fish, and Parks Podcast and Blast. I am your guy, communications specialist Chris Hull of Game, Fish, and Parks. And today I've got a buddy on the phone who's probably taught more people in South Dakota uh, how to do stuff outside. Hunt, fish, uh, bird watch, build things done more stuff at our outdoor campus in Sioux Falls than probably anybody in the world. His name is Derek Clawitter, and he is joining me today from beautiful Sioux Falls. How are we doing, Derek? We're doing really good. Thanks for having me on today. Right on. The reason I have Derek on there, other than he's an awesome fisherman, he's an amazing big game hunter, he finds awesome sheds, shed hunting, and does all this cool stuff, is Derek and some of the crew from the Outdoor Campus East and the Outdoor Campus West, our educational folks, are putting together a bunch of videos online on our Facebook pages and and other social media on how to do stuff outdoors. And they're kind of setting them up. Um, Derek, I just want you to talk about that, that effort and when and where people can find all that cool stuff. Sure. Um, like you mentioned, we are doing weekly videos on um, outdoor type activities. For instance, um, I've been doing like fish cleaning and turkey hunting, and I've done some episodes like on trapping pocket gophers and stuff like that. They're just short little um, five to ten minute little segments on um, getting people outside, enjoying a new activity that they have, may have or may have not done before as well. So um, they are on our Facebook page, um, Outdoor Campus Sioux Falls. And like I said, there's little, little blurb videos. We do um, once every day. It'd be a different topic and different video, um, ranging from, like say, different outdoor activities that people and families can do, especially now when they're cooped up at home. So, Yeah, and there, it's good stuff. I mean, it, we always provide, you guys always provide good good content and good teaching moments and in and, and classes and stuff at the at the. Uh, campuses but this was this was a cool idea to, a way to reach out to folks that that can't get out obviously the campuses are closed but a way to keep that programming going and and just kind of kind of just deliver some of this stuff that that we know people want but i also know that you guys and gals want to teach so 
Good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, with the campuses being closed now for the time being, like I said, it's a chance for us to still do some educating and also people at home to be able to watch these videos and maybe try a new activity or do something they haven't done before in the past. So, Right. Where are you getting your ideas, Derek? Are you guys all getting together and fighting over some of them, or are you just coming coming up with them off your head? Or A lot of them we just come up with on our head, sort of our, our specialties. Um, like Sam, myself, I'm a big hunter and angler, so I like to um, gear mine more towards those, whereas yeah, other people, um, yeah, they're basically just picking up what they know how to do, what they enjoy doing, and going from there, I guess. So Yeah. So let's talk about one specific that that actually kind of spurred this interview. Um, you sent, you know, hey, this is what we're doing, and and I looked at the last one on the list, and it was how to go to the bathroom outside when nature calls. Um, <laughs> where did that idea come from? I mean, obviously, we know, you know, everybody everybody poops, Derek. But where? I mean, how did how did you get that idea? And and you're like, hey, put it together, so. Yeah, um, this is one of the things I, I don't really want to claim to be an expert at, but if anyone <laughs> who spends as much, <laughs> if anyone who spends as much time as I do outdoors, um, I don't care if you're a hunter, angler, you know, a dog walker, um, you're going to get that unexpected call from nature. Right. Um, yeah, and so like I say, sometimes it's a urgent call, sometimes it's a call you can put on hold, but um, sometimes it's a call, it doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a Walmart parking lot, you got to answer that call. So. Right. So, um, and yeah, like I say, it's just one of those deals where it's, unfortunately no one wants it to happen, but yeah. there ain't how much you can do when that phone rings. So. Right. So take, take us through this, the, some of the steps without, without giving away too much too much of the video sure. guys guys and gals yep. if you want to see it go to the go to the campus web page or facebook page but walk yep. us through yep. some of the stuff some of your ideas well first of all being prepared is the number one thing you can do um i myself like in my personal vehicle and then i have anywhere between six to eight rolls of toilet paper in my personal right. truck, you know so um yeah i um my new best friend in the last couple of years is wet wipes not only do they cleanse, but they soothe as well. So um, wet wipes are certainly my, my new best friend. However, like I mentioned before, um, being prepared is not always my specialty as well. So sometimes you got to get by with what you have on you or what you can find around you. So right. with that with that being said, um, I always wear two pairs of socks. I don't care if I'm going hunting, fishing, or if I'm going to the grocery store. Reason being is um, socks are super absorbent. They're soft and they sort of cup around your hands, so um, protects your fingernails right. and everything like that as well. So, <laughs> uh, another helpful hint that I um, actually stole this from one of my buddies is shirt sleeves. Right. Um, he takes little, he takes his scissors and he plans ahead of time. He snips a little seam of his shirt sleeves. That way, um, yeah, they're quick, right. easy, and you can peel them, peel them off, and you're, right. you're ready to go. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> the, the joke the joke with our uh with my fishing buddies when i was when i was in high school and college was you know the shirtless or the sleeveless shirts you know you're like oh okay and then you know it'd be like oh no it wasn't this time it was last time i wore this shirt you know but uh, i had a buddy that always wore the shirt the t-shirts with the one pocket like the one pocket yep. on it, they're yep. like the Hanes or Lees, yep. and that's that's yep. what he used, man. So that that's yep. Yep. 
stuff that people <laughs> overlook, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. That's for sure. And I see people wearing tank tops out fishing or out hiking, and they're just asking for, for right. disasters. Like driving always <laughs> seatbelts on. So right. <laughs> you know, it is. This is. We could talk about this kind of high school humor for forever with me. But the, the one point that you really did make when I was looking at some of the stuff is is like not leaving a trace. And I think you know, as we go on with this pandemic, but just in general, we have users who are new, you know, talk about that, not leaving a trace, Derek. And, and kind of, yep. Yep. Exactly. It's like, it's like anything. I mean, you don't want to be out hiking around or, um, seeing what someone else left behind. So right. if at all possible, um, try to bury it, try to remove it. Um, people carry a little doggy bags for walking their dog. I mean, I got a Walmart, bag in my pocket or in my back pocket most days right. is for myself actually so right. yeah yep um yeah if you, if you can bury it move it um yeah just make it so it's not visible for everyone else to enjoy i should say i guess or not enjoy so right yeah yeah and, and and i think you know i was i was talking to my wife when when i brought this up and she's like well i don't know what i would do i said well you bury it you know, and she <laughs> just kind of looked and she's like the toilet paper too and i said well do you want to see somebody else's toilet paper and she's Oh gosh, you know, I never thought of that. <laughs> so, yep, you know, for yep. our, our new users and even some of our our more, you know, uh veteran users, I guess, you, you know, that you think it's second nature, but it's it's just something that's really important. We want to make sure we leave that stuff and, you know, our resources yep. better better than we found it. Yep. So, no, definitely, definitely. Look. Go ahead. And locate, locate, location is key as well. Sometimes, right. yeah, you're out in the middle and somewhere and you got a perfect spot, perfect tree to lead against. But, um, some days, like I say, it's just a matter of hopefully you get your pants down fast <laughs> enough to be able to finish up right. <laughs> to answer that call. So. Right, right. <laughs> well, uh, so. Derek, give us again where you can, where, where they can find these videos and what, what do you got in your brain marinating for maybe the next couple of weeks? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, lo- location of these videos is uh, outdoor, South Dakota Game Fishing Parks Outdoor Campus Sioux Falls Facebook page. Um, coming up next week, I'm working on some um, fun, exciting videos as well. I'm going to do a morel mushroom hunting video. Right. Um, I'm also working on uh, wild asparagus. I mean, I grew up as a kid driving the back roads, picking right. asparagus and stuff like that as well. So I'm going to talk about that with mm-hmm. tips and tricks. and. My um my next exciting one though I'm gonna name it uh, edible inedible. It's gonna be about eating um, turkey giblets. We're gonna talk about uh, heart, the liver, the gizzard, but also some of the more exotic ones. Um, turkey kidneys and turkey testicles are gonna be on the menu as well. So yeah, yep, we're gonna do a little taste testing with the kids and stuff, and yeah, we're gonna be sure to join. Join in for that one as well. That's, so that's good stuff, man. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yep, well, yep, wow. well, Derek, I appreciate your time, uh, and I appreciate your efforts <laughs> on showing us how to do it. The when the effort strikes you, or when the moment <laughs> strikes you, I appreciate it, man. Yep. <laughs> uh, stay well. Keep in touch, and uh, for everybody out there listening, uh, go to our uh, outdoor campus East Facebook page. We're trying to. Um, like and share those as many as possible but there are a bunch coming and and they are cool and they're a lot of fun Derek. once again thanks for your time we appreciate it yeah thanks guys have a good day i've been down blind just passed by without seeing how to me i've been down blind just passed by without seeing by to me yeah.
to this latest rainy day edition of the South Dakota Game Fishing Parks Podcast and Blast. I am your host and your friend, Chris Hall, Communications Specialist with Game Fishing Parks. And today, I've got a very much in-demand by the media person today, uh, Hillary Morey. Hillary, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. Got uh, got you inside. I know you've been chasing turkeys a little bit, and it's no fun to turkey hunt in the rain anyway. So thanks yep. for your time. So, Hillary, we've had you on, not on the podcast, but we, you and I have done some video work together when you were a fisheries person. Uh, but your job has changed a little bit. What? Uh, tell me what, what you're doing, what you work on. Tell the folks out there kind of what you do for the GFNP. Yeah, so I'm the senior environmental review biologist for South Dakota Game Fish and Parks located in Pier. And um, kind of to sum up the very many roles that I have, um, I work with developers and other state agencies as well. Uh, whenever new projects are proposed, like new housing development, new roads, uh, new wind farm, new solar farm, uh, anything like that. I work with those developers um, for them to try and avoid any impacts to wildlife. So kind of helping um, growth industry and wildlife coexist in the state. Cool. Um, and so, uh, you know, do you, do you go out and do site visits and stuff a lot too, or uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, yep. you know, the wind towers or whatever that are going up in Highmore, I'm sure they were, you've been in direct contact with those guys and gals and just going back and forth on stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. I, um, I worked a little bit on that project. That was kind of at the tail end when I first started sure. in this role, but, uh, like just uh, a couple weeks ago, I've been working with our upland game biologist, Travis Rooney, and we've been doing grouse surveys out south of Miller, uh, in and around a wind farm going up. So it's been kind of cool. Um, just getting out, doing some, some work outside during this, you know, sure. kind of crazy time. So right. that's been fun. Cool. So you're a new mom. What, uh, tell us what, what that little fart is doing right now. Sleeping? He, uh, right now he's about to be sleeping. He's, <laughs> we've got a pretty good schedule worked out. So I take him in the morning till about noon and, uh, Dad works from about 6 a.m. till 3 every day, and then afternoon, it's my time to actually get some work done. So, nice. yeah, so it works out pretty good. He's uh, We just got the one, so that helps a lot. Right. And he's a real happy dude, And but, man, he's, like, rolling around like crazy. He's crossing the living room, so it's gotten yeah. a little bit more more difficult right right it, yeah. it it gets better believe me i've got a 12 year old she's no problem at all so it gets no. easier it that's at least that's what everybody says it doesn't yeah. what everybody says yeah that's what they tell you <laughs> cool so uh the reason i have main reason i have hillary on today is to talk about dogs and dog training hillary is an awesome dog trainer she's done a bunch of work for uh the whole family. We have four dogs, like many of you know, and we have one little house dog who was a terror. And uh, Hillary, she went to Hillary, Camp Hillary and uh, and got some manners. And uh, she's better, but we still spoil her. And that's probably the gist of dog training, isn't it? You're trying to train the 
owners and the dogs together and you didn't train me so yeah <laughs> yeah you gotta train the trainer otherwise you're gonna fail every time right so how how did you get how, how did you get your training or your skills in dog training i mean i've always trained my own dogs uh, i've always had labs so it's it's fairly easy but i've never really had one of those you know i get them to the point where they're as good as me or maybe a little better and then i kind of go okay you're, you know, you're my hunting dog. How did you get your background in, in kind of dog training and that kind of stuff? I guess it kind of just happened by chance. I, you know, I grew up with dogs as well, uh, had labs and did a lot of duck hunting. And, you know, it was one of those where we'd have the dog with us, but it was probably not very effective because right. <laughs> she, you know, she would bark and whine and break and and all that jazz and so um once i got my own dog when i started grad school at sdsu in brookings um i kind of made up my mind like i'm gonna do things different like i'm gonna have a dog that people want to be around that people like hunting around uh one that you know is just a pleasure to have in the duck blind or even in the house mm -hmm. um so I kind of started out, I did the, you know, the, read the books, especially the, the Richard Walters books. Those are a really good start. The gun dog, water dog, game dog. Um, and they, they worked for a while, uh, but I had a particularly obstinate female black lab that was just, you know, she was baffling me and everything that was in those books was just, she was too smart for it. Um, so I sought out some help, and luckily my graduate school advisor at SDSU, Brian Greb, was kind of a, I guess he would probably consider himself an amateur trainer. Um, he was working with some professionals, uh, namely Sonny Picars out of Wisconsin, the Hay Creek Kennel in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And Sonny was trained by Rick and Ronnie Smith, um, the son and nephew of the great Delmar Smith, and so that's kind of you know, the lineage of where I got involved and have been sort of following that, that Hunt Smith method, the Hunt Smith line, but also just sort of learning anything I can from anybody I can and soaking it all in. Sure. And, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I know, um, Professor Grebs a little bit. I've got to spend a little bit of time watching, uh, him and you guys train a little bit, but I know a lot of people who, are really really good with dogs that he's had influence on so um if you ever hear that name out there and and you go oh you know this dog was at you know with grebs or whoever um you can be assured that 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 dog's well on its way and, and it's doing probably going to do good things so um yeah pretty interesting stuff so i've got some questions hillary and i did not go over these questions ahead of time in fact i only have a couple written down and i went through two of them already so um, um, I might be flying off the seat of my pants. So if I stump you or anything, um, it's not because of your lack of knowledge. I probably just asked a dumb question. So, uh, this time of year, you know, May, June, especially in South Dakota, people picking out puppies, people are having puppies. There's, there's litters to be had. I know I, I'm starting to see it a lot on social media, people having puppies and stuff. What is the advice if I was going to tell you, Hey, I'm going out to pick out a puppy what should somebody be looking for the things that i look for is definitely look at the parents you know do your research 
um, the biggest thing is what do you want out of a dog? And I think that's a question a lot of people don't really ask right. themselves or they don't really think about it enough. You know, do you want a dog that is a family dog 70% of the time and a hunting dog 30% of the time? Or do you want a dog that's going to be 100% outside? Because um, that's really going to influence what kind of puppy you pick. Um, so I, you know, we, we do a mix our dogs are primarily outside. I would say like 80% of the time they're outside. And so there's certain traits that I don't mind dealing with because they're outside, you know, if they're, you know, not as, not as friendly, uh, not, not necessarily mean, but for example, we've got a, an English pointer and those are notorious for being very cat-like. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and that turns a lot of people off, but to me, I don't really mind it because uh, he's outside most of the time. And so when we do have interactions, he really enjoys it because it's not constant one-on-one time. Right. Um, so, so, you know, the big things would be, what, what do you want in this dog? If it's going to be a family dog, you're going to want a dog that's, um, you know, a little bit more low key, maybe not like a field trial line dog. Right. Uh, those tend to be a little bit more high energy or, um, you know, can be problematic, especially if you don't have the time for them. That's really what those problematic dogs, what it comes down to is that you have a dog that's mismatched for your situation. Um, so yeah, definitely do your homework and look at the parents, I would say more than anything. Sure. And when you're saying look at the parents, you're not even necessarily saying look at the, the breeding line. Um, or are you, you're just saying, look at those parents and what kind of dogs they are. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's important. Um, you know, what's their temperament like? Are they, are they aggressive? Are they, are they happy dogs? You know, do they like being around people? Do they not really care either way? Um, pedigree is important too, especially, you know, there's some people that care more about that than others, but, um, you know, ultimately a dog's a dog and you can, you can still get things done with dogs that don't have those spectacular pedigrees. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, you get, you get some health benefits with them as well. Um, you know, that's another big one is, uh, looking at health lines, especially with labs because they have been really popular in the past. And so you can get some hip problems, Mm -hmm. hip dysplasia and that. Um, so that's another one. Look at the parents, see how they are. And really, um, if you really, really want to do your homework, look at previous litters, if they've had any, you know, if they've done that cross before, that's sure. where you can really get a lot of information. Sure. Um, I had a good question now. It's out of my brain. I'll probably edit this out. Actually, I probably won't. But uh, what can you learn from? So I, I've done my research and, and I picked out uh, a litter or I picked out, you know, there's a litter available and I'm going to go look at puppies what can you learn from a specific puppy and at what age you know there's the old um i'm going to turn this puppy on its back and if it lays there you know it's probably a little more laid back is are there anything anything like that you can learn from puppies just and at what age i guess you know i i've also heard a lot about that and that's kind of the way that i grew up um Mm -hmm. but Honestly, with my experience, and I haven't seen hundreds of dogs, I've seen, you know, a handful of dogs, but with my experience, pick the litter and not the puppy, if that makes sense. Um, You know, individual dogs, they could, you could maybe learn something, um, 
but unless you're visiting that litter multiple times, right. just one one shot with picking a puppy, uh, kind of a roll of the dice, I guess you could say. Um, so, yeah, you might be able to learn a little bit, but you never know prior to your visit with somebody else there. Is that dog tired from yeah. running around with yep. his little pals or, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, definitely pick the litter and, and then it doesn't necessarily matter as much what puppy you pick. Sure. Yeah. I, I've got a young dog now. It's, I think she's a year and a half and went and litter and you know, the the mom is tiny and she's laid back and it's like, Oh good. I'm going to get this tiny laid back, you know, dog because our dogs are in the house. And, and, uh, I picked the smallest lab and she was, must've been just tired that day when I was there. Um, because I've got her home and I think she's part greyhound and part coyote because she just goes <laughs> And she is one yep. of those high maintenance, you got to run her. And if you don't, you pay for it because she never stops. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, for what it's worth, I think that's that's really good advice. And I've never really thought about just, you know, the litter because we do get caught, caught up on, you know, individual dogs and, and looking at them. And, and, and I, I think I'm the same, you know, my parents were, you know, you turn them over on their back and you look at their mouth. And if their mouth is black, they're smart if they're a lab and... <laughs> Uh, that all that is, you know, about as accurate as the stork bringing a, bringing a baby, I guess. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, it's the same, like, you know, when I was pregnant, everybody's like, oh, well, if you're, if you're, if you look this way, you're having a boy. And if you look this way, you're having a girl. It's like, it doesn't, you know, right, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> sure. Um, so get a puppy, um, you know, going to be a house dog and a, and a hunting dog or a family dog and a hunting dog, or even a, you know, a kennel dog most of the time, bringing them home. When's, when, in your experience, like what age, how, how many weeks old, um, is the best or like preferred to, to get them and get them home and why, I guess. Um, well, for me, that's two years old. Then they're, they're yeah, already right. trained. I know that <laughs> that's not, uh, that's not what most people want. Most people want the puppy and right. you know, the puppy stage is fun. It's a lot of work, but um, so that's, a, that's kind of an interesting question. Cause Richard Walters is like day 49. Absolutely. Like you have to pick up your day or pick up your dog on day 49, no sooner, no later. Um, but that's not necessarily written in stone, even though that's kind of what his books say. Uh, but I've I've read some interesting research articles that say anywhere from like that, you know, technically you can pick them up at like six weeks. I think that seems a little early to mm-hmm. me, but that like nine to 12 weeks is really when they start um, developing the social structure within right. the litter. Mm-hmm. So it can be as much as hard as it is to wait to pick up a puppy when you're already really excited. If you can wait or if the breeder is willing to let you wait uh, that, you know, 12 week or even you know a little bit later than that uh that window they can gain some really beneficial social structure that's when mom's starting to wean the pups and they're kind of on their own so they learn some of that um that pack structure which you'll build upon as a trainer right. um, they'll learn that in in that litter situation so if you can wait it's it's beneficial um but yeah anytime i would say after about eight weeks would be would be ideal for me yeah and i think you know i know my my dad my grandpa were you know eight weeks it's eight weeks it's eight weeks and when i i know when i got my first 
lab I got her probably just the breeder wanted them out. I mean, just I probably was closer to six, wanted six weeks, six and a half weeks. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was cute to have, it was awesome to have this cute little puppy, but you know, there's, I think the structure, like you said, that pack mentality stuff and, and, but also it's just, it's a lot more work because they got teeny little bladders and, and, you know, it's a lot of, it, it, I, I thought it was harder to get them used to a crate. You had to get up more often with them, you know, it just lended itself to like more accidents and stuff in the crate. And I, I just, I, I didn't think that dog was ready and I know I wasn't ready. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I have waited eight, nine weeks in the, in the past and it seems to work better, but that it makes sense that 12 weeks and, you know, getting them more acclimated with that pack mentality. But, but even just the, I, I think to me, like the bladder and all that other stuff is, it, it just makes it a little bit easier, but I guess it's to every, every dog is different too. So. Yeah. And one more thing that I thought about, like with, I've worked with a couple uh, professional trainers, just, you know, working with them and learning from them. Um, and there's quite a few of them, especially if they compete, they'll buy an entire litter of dogs. Um, Cause like you were asking about how do you pick a puppy? Sure. You really can't, you know, it's really hard to pick a puppy out of, you know, there's nine dogs there. And it's like, how do you differentiate? But a lot of these guys will take an entire litter and keep them for six months or a year. And then they can really, really evaluate like, yep, this dog has, you know, really good abilities. This dog's mediocre. Um, so that's another advantage is if, if they can stay with a breeder is they, they get to know those dogs a little bit better and they might be able to help you match to what your needs are. Sure. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I, I got a puppy or some people out there picking out a puppy, uh, get it home. What are some important things that, that people should be doing right away? And what are some of the mistakes that folks might make when they bring that puppy home? And, you know, those first couple of weeks that are so important. I would say the two biggest things to me is crate training and just socialization. Uh, so not, not necessarily socialization with just people, but every, everything, take them everywhere with you. Cause they're going to be a much better adjusted dog. Um, you know, take them, take them to work with you. If you can put them in your car, let them out, um, let them be around people, take them out for walks, let them walk in the tall grass let them walk in the short grass, you know, right. um, that's, there's a lot of times you, you see people with these little puppies and they're, they're afraid to, to let them explore, but man, that's so good for their brains and, get them especially if you're going to be hunting with them get them into birds as soon as you can just smelling bird smell um you know running through the grass seeing birds flush right. um that's great for them but definitely crate training is the other one that is so huge um i don't know how many times i've heard you know friends and family or it's like oh well you know so and so used to go in a crate and doesn't anymore and uh, we travel a lot with our dogs and man, it's great. You open the door, you don't even have to say anything in there, boom, right. right in their crate. And they know, you know, that that's where they're supposed to be. And so when you're on the road, it's not a big deal. Um, but man, it's, and it translates into so many other things, you know, being in the car, being in a, if you got one of those little mutt huts or dog blinds, right. if you field hunt, all that, it's really good for them. Right. It, it, what about the idea? And I, and I know I've read this and stuff, you know, it's also their, 
they, they know they're supposed to be in there, but that's their place. And, you know, it's their safe place. It's their place that they can go if they don't want to be around people. Um, and just gives them kind of an anchor point. Is it what, have you ever heard, read anything about that or got any ideas on that? Oh yeah. I've, one of our dogs is very much, he loves his crate. Um, he's our pointer. He's, he can get a little bit overwhelmed when there's a lot of commotion or a lot of people. Uh, so he, he really likes those smaller cave like spaces. We've got, he's in a dog box outside right now. And yeah, when he's not really feeling it, he just, he goes in there and people leave him alone. And even my, my first lab, she was the same way. We had a a family friend that was maybe a little bit too excited to play with dogs and sure. and she's she's weird for a lab she's just not a <laughs> she's not a normal lab but uh she didn't like being you know getting that much attention so she'd go to her crate and she knew that that's where she was safe and she could get away from people that were harassing her right i've got i've got one like that that my oldest lab is very much she'll come up you know four or five times a day now that we're home and she'll come walking by and you scratch her and She'll wag her tail a little bit and kind of sniff around and then right back down. She's like, okay, maybe have a drink of water. And her crate door is, kennel door is never shut. Um, yeah. When people come over, she's for about three minutes, she looks at everybody and she's like, okay, I'm out. And mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, I, I know that's specifically because when I got her, <coughs> excuse me, she was a crate dog. I mean, I she took to it, but that was her place, so... What about, um, is there any kind of training, crate training, um, any kind of routine or any anything that, you know, especially for people with house dogs and, and as far as crate training, any tips or tricks that make may make that a little easier? Yeah, boy, it's been a couple of years since I've had a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, you know, my kind of philosophy, especially with young, young puppies, because, if you're not paying attention 100%, they're going to have an accident in the house. Right. Uh, but my my philosophy has always been when you are when you can't focus on that puppy, like they need to be in a crate. And it, it doesn't have to be for long. You know, it can be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, um, you know, I think maybe an hour or two if they're really young. But, yeah, keeping them in that crate unless you can keep an eye on them because they, boy, they get into everything yep. uh, really, really fast. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just consistency. That's huge in any kind of, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do, any kind of training, but just consistency. You know, you, you create, put them in the crate. Um, as soon as you take them out, take them outside to go potty and right. uh, bring them back in the house. But the other thing too, to, to think about is to not use the crate as punishment, you know? Um, so if they, if they do have an accident, don't throw them in the crate as punishment. Cause then they'll associate that negative. Sure negative reaction to that crate and you want it to be a positive thing that the crate is their, you know, their, like you said, their safe space. Right. What about, and I'm still struggling with this a little bit with this, my youngest lab, she's pretty vocal and not just barking, but just kind of like this weird high pitched whine and, and she's getting better. But like when you put puppies in, in crates and they're barking and it just drives people crazy. And that I, I know a lot of people that, well, you know, I'm taking the dog out and that's a positive mm-hmm. reinforcement to a negative reaction. What about dogs barking in crates, especially puppies? Any, yeah. any thoughts? Yeah, that's a tough one. Our, um, our youngest lab, 
he's our youngest dog. He was one of those. He still is sometimes. Uh, the barking in the crate when you're, even when you're home, right. especially when I was gone. But yeah, the best thing that you can do is it's not fun, but if you can try and ride it out and just let them, you know, let them bark it out a little bit, and then as soon as they're quiet, you take them out. You you reward reward the silence sure. is what you're looking for. Um, that's it's really hard to do, and it takes a lot of patience and a lot of time. Um, you know, the other thing that you can do is is kind of I guess it'd be like a a negative association, but spray bottles full of water sometimes work. Um, Sometimes, sometimes dogs are like, oh, that was fun. (laughs) Yeah, a drink. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that doesn't always work, but sometimes just, you know, wiggle in the crate a little bit just to distract them from that, that, that noise that they're making. Um, But if, if you can time it so that you let them out when they're quiet, it may not take that long. It may only take, you know, five, 10 minutes, but it seems like forever because yep. they're barking and making a lot of noise. But that's the best thing I can say is, is try to write it out if you can. Um, Cause yeah, like you said, it'll reinforce that negative behavior. It's really easy to do. Yep. Uh, our young, our little house dog hates the spray bottle. The labs love it, but the, the spray bottle did work on the, on the youngest golden doodle. So <laughs> <laughs> so it, it does work, but the other labs now they they just love it. They think it's awesome. So, mm-hmm. um, so bring a dog home. We're working on crate training. When can you? When do you like to start with basic? You know, I, I would I would say I'm equating this to hunting, but like basic hunt training, um, and you know, sit, come, fetch, all that stuff, and then give me some drills or give give the folks some ideas of of some simple stuff to start with. Yeah, so I guess for me, I don't necessarily start any formal program until they're a couple months old. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can start training immediately, and I would suggest that that's the best thing you could do. Uh, for example, what we did with our, our lab now, when he was little itty-bitty, we would take him out of his crate and um, make him sit by the door. And I, I don't use commands, especially with, with really young dogs, cause they don't even know their name. That's a huge thing that I've seen people do. Um, you know, and it can be very detrimental to try and give them all these commands all at once. And they don't even know their name. They don't even know who you are. Right. Um, so what we would do with Bill is his name. We take him to the back door and I just um, kind of, you know, gently hold his collar in one hand and push down on his butt and just make him sit. And then I'd open the door and let him go out. And boy, it does not take him long to figure out that, oh, when I go here, I put my butt on the ground and then I go outside. Um, and there was no, there's no formal command. And even to this day, if you stand at the, he's not 100% great at it, but if you stand yeah. at the door and don't even say a word. He'll sit before you open the door. And it's pretty awesome. It's like built-in manners that we started from pretty much day one. Um, so you can always do that stuff. The other thing that's that's really, really helpful, especially for hunting dogs, um, and your vet will love you for it, is table work. Um, and it, so I have a, a big training table. It's like I don't know, 10 feet long in the backyard with the with the little wire across the top with a chain that I can hook them to so they can't fall off the table. And so I'll take them out there and just just handle them, you know, play with their ears, play with their mouth, play with their feet, uh, get them used to you touching different parts of them. Because um, 
especially one thing I like to do with my dogs after every single hunting trip is, you know, just like a tailgate exam, check out their feet, check out their right. belly, make sure they don't have any, any cuts, thorns or anything. Or anything. Right. Yeah. Cuts. Cause that stuff, if you catch it early, you can usually avoid a, a fairly expensive vet bill. Um, but yeah, that tra- table training, uh, there's some, some YouTube videos and whatnot and resources if folks want to check that out. But basically you, you know, the, the puppy, you lift them up and they'll squirm around. And as soon as they stop squirming, you set them down on the ground and they go to move, you pick them up again. And it's, it's pretty, it looks pretty silly, but man, it is awesome. Cause I'll tell you, we take our dogs to the vet and they're like, I can't believe how still this dog is standing or sitting. And they're just blown away by it. Right. Uh, but that's, that's huge is to be able to even just put a hand on your dog, you know, without them getting overexcited, you know, if you got to correct them or control them in the, in the blind or anything. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of training you can start anytime, but yeah, the formal training, it, it really depends on the dog. Um, some dogs are just more mature than others, but you know, you could start probably with a you know, three month old puppy and start on a, on a leash, doing some leash training and some sitting and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, and I know I did this this last dog. I didn't do enough of that <clears throat> kind of that table training. Um, and she's she she's probably opposite. She could be sitting still, and you put your hand on her, and she's just like, "Oh, all right, it's it's playtime." And it's been mm-hmm. trying for our family to to kind of get through that. And we are getting through that. She's just a high strung dog, but. It, we did i did it wrong and i knew it as soon as it started happening i'm like oh boy uh you know the train doesn't have any brakes and and now <laughs> now the work begins but i i think the other thing and especially you talked about maturity of the dogs and and when they're ready and when they're not i i my oldest lab at four months was was hunting i mean she was a hunting dog that's that's what drove her she was a retriever and she was tracking birds and finding cripples and and now with this other dog, it's been a year to get her to where she's like, oh, this is what we're doing. And this is what, you know, this is my purpose. And I like this. Um, so that maturity thing, I think, is is big. But the other thing, you you know, you started saying like three months. And I, I think a lot of us expect these dogs to be, you know, okay, you're home. We're your, we're your people. And this is how we do things. And, and we get it's really easy to get frustrated that first month when they're not sitting and they don't know their name well and they're not listening. So that, that maturity point is pretty interesting to me. So. Yeah. And it, like you said, every dog is different. And we, uh, so we had four dogs and we've, we've downsized to two cause a baby and four dogs right. is just insanity. Um, but the other, the other two dogs there for the listener's sake, they are still very much alive. They're living with my sister, a nice, (laughs) nice retirement life in Wisconsin. Um, but so we had two labs and two pointers and and it was just amazing. The, The lab, my female lab that's now retired, she was awesome. Just, I mean, you know, very smart, picked up on stuff really quick and was a really good learner. And by her second season like duck hunting she was she was great i mean i sure she had flaws and everything but man she was doing really good and now this lad that we have now he's uh four yeah he'll be four at the end of this month i think um and he's like he's pretty good but boy he is 
it just it takes him a little longer to learn stuff but he's just a different dog and and he will he's one of those dogs that just he will not stop and that's why i picked that dog well i should say that's why i picked that litter um was based on the breeding and i've got friends that have uh not litter mates but um puppies out of other litters of the same parents Mm -hmm. and boy he like he will run through anything right (laughs) you know ice barbed wire doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's just it's a trade-off so you got a dog that's maybe not quite as good on the drills but boy he's gonna be he's gonna be that dog that's out there on lake oahe chasing on that goose in january um so yeah right so we get we get a dog at three four months and it's now it's july and it and it's it's nice and everybody's outside what are what are those first drills and those first kind of you know even just fetch and you know sit come stay do you have any kind of pointers or tricks that you've used to just kind of keep that consistency going and and keep them on the right track yeah i like to try and get out once a week with friends especially if you have folks that have other dogs of you know they don't have to be puppies but different ages but it's really good for them to have to do those drills in new places and around a lot of distractions. Um, so the best thing you can do is, is do all your work at home, and that's that's really good. But also get out and take them places and make them, you know, make them heal, make them sit when you're in a new spot. Because mm-hmm. especially for puppies, that's really hard. It's like, oh, there's all this new stuff to look at and these other dogs. And um, so I like to start the way I, I kind of build up. So I start is in the Huntsmith method is called the foundation level work. So you start start with heel and basically you're teaching them to be with you and to go with you and pay attention to, to where you're walking. So you're just pretty much just healing them around, um, getting them to walk next to you. And you really want to be able to have them with you and not have to give them commands constantly. Right. That's kind of what you're shooting for. Um, and then it's a similar kind of deal like I was describing with our puppy, Bill. Um, every time you come to a stop, they should automatically sit without you having to say anything. And that just takes a little bit of work. You know, you, you stop. And as soon as you stop, you know, you pull up on their collar a little bit and that pressure um, along the collar. And then you push down on their butt. And from that cue, they'll know that they should be sitting. Um, sure. And you do that repetition and consistency and boy, all of a sudden you're walking along and you come to a stop and your dog stops and sits and you don't have to say a word. It's, it's pretty cool when it, when they put it all together eventually. So that's, I guess that's what I work on first is just that kind of stuff. And then you build up once they're doing that well, then you build up from there. Like I don't, especially with retrievers, it sounds crazy and counterintuitive, but I don't throw bumpers for puppies very often because if they're, a retriever that's bred well, they're going to retrieve, right. you know? Um, and you can actually, you know, that's just my preference, but if you're not careful, especially with a puppy, you can cause some major behavior problems later if you're just constantly throwing bumpers all the time. And I, I learned that the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it is interesting because, you know, you look at it and that's what they're, you know, they're born and bred to do and that's what they love to do. So for a, a lot of us, and especially, you know, people who use their dogs a lot, like I do and like you do, you know, okay, we're trying to get them into shape. So we're going to take them out and we're going to throw the ball or we're going to throw a bumper for 
10 minutes and get them their exercise. And I know with this, this young dog of mine, it, it did do some, she just, at six months, she was like, Nope, I'm done. I'm not going to retrieve anymore. And I, I was just crushed. Uh, you know, it was probably, she was a Christmas dog. So it was probably this time last year. And she was just like, Nope, I'm not going to, not going to retrieve. And, and, I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, this dog, my mm-hmm. other dogs would go out and swim and, and, you know, retrieve bumpers and, and we'd go out and exercise and this dog's just tearing around and, and we'd get her exercise by running her and stuff. But I, I, I literally thought this dog is done. You know, I'm going to have to send her up to Minnesota with my brother and he, she can be a bar dog or, mm-hmm. um, but once we got her kind of in more of that hunting mode in the fall, and she got out with the other dogs. You could kind of see that it, that light bulb didn't come on immediately, but it sure um, you could see her going, "What? What's going on here?" And then all of a sudden, it started coming around, coming around, coming around. And now, like when I go play um, catch with Charlie um, with the softball, she now she wants the ball all the time. Um, and I might do it once or twice, but I'm really careful of like not doing it 20 times and wearing her out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really easy because that's the fun stuff, you right. know, doing drills, retrieving stuff. Like, that's the really fun stuff. But until you have the good base, uh, you're you're probably going to wind up with some issues down the road, and you're probably going to wind up regretting it. Uh, but one thing that was drilled into my head is is that you do the boring stuff first. You know, and it, it, it stinks because, yeah, you got a puppy and you want to do the fun stuff. You want to swim and uh, you, you do need to introduce them to water pretty early. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, running drills, throwing bumpers, all that stuff, you know, introducing the gun. But it's it pays off in the end to do the work up front and, you know, get them sitting, get them healing. Because, you know, how many times have you been out with, with friends when you're hunting and, um you know, you see that dog that's just bonkers and bouncing off the wall. There's a lot of people that aren't really excited to, you know, to hunt with a dog that doesn't behave. But then you go out with other folks that maybe have a dog that sits there well. And it's like, man, that's that's pretty cool. Even just little stuff, yep. um, little stuff like that, having a dog that's under control and that has manners. It's it goes a long way. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'll, I will say that my, I have two dogs that have very good manners and you know, full disclosure, my dogs are not duck hunters and I've hunted with, uh, you know, our mutual friend, Gino Adams dogs who are just rock steady. And he, mm-hmm. you know, I remember one of the first times I duck hunted with him. He's like, how come you don't bring your dogs along? And I said, they are not duck hunters. They are trained and drilled to be pheasant hunters and they have that energy and they don't have that skill set. And it's not to be said that Gino's dogs aren't good bird hunters or, or grouse hunters or pheasant hunters. Cause they are, it's just, two totally different worlds and so Mm -hmm. that yeah that manners thing is is amazing and and it goes a long long ways um so yeah but it's it's interesting i guess i've never heard anybody say you know working on all that other stuff and and not the bumpers and stuff you got to build that sit come stay at least in the way that you put it so yeah yeah and i've like i said i've learned the hard way um because if you one thing that um, Sonny, the trainer in Wisconsin that I had worked with previously, one thing that he said is, if you can't even get your dog to sit still in the yard, how are you going to expect that dog to sit still in the duck blind? Right. So, oh, that's a really good point. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that all that all translates because the backyard is, is calm, and all of a sudden you add all this, 
excitement and anxiety and you know just that pure adrenaline that they feel from being in the duck blind because this is that's what they love that's what they want to do like you have to be able to focus their energy and get them under control otherwise it's it's going to be a train wreck right um switching gears a little bit let's just talk a little bit about like food i i see it and i and i i have some friends who are vets and 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 especially with labs i would say 80 percent of the labs that i see are overweight Mm-hmm. Um, and even it, these dogs, these are dogs that get exercise. They're, they're getting out, you know, multiple times a week and going for walks and going for runs and, and swimming and doing all these things, but they're still overweight. What's, you know, for, for you, what are you, what do you feed your dog? How many times a day, you know, how much food are you feeding your dogs and how many times a day? Yeah. So we feed Purina pro plan sport. Yep. Um, it's, uh, the higher protein is, I believe it's 30% yep. protein. Um, and I've, I've switched brands a number of times and, and that's just kind of what I've settled on. Um, we have our, my pointer is he can be pretty sensitive, uh, especially in the winter time. He gets like this, uh, reddish skin rash. So I switched to a ton of different stuff, never really cleared it up, but, um, I like the pro plan. It seems to to agree well with them um we also had an issue with our pointer uh twice two different hunts but he he went um oh i'm gonna forget the word before now he, he kind of went into shock he had low blood sugar mm-hmm. and i'm totally spacing on on what that's called but anyhow hypoglycemic there we go, there we go. um but yeah, he basically like went into shock because he had like run down his his energy stores, and that was when I was feeding. Um, it was a a grain free food, and I'm I'm by no means like a veterinarian or anything. Sure. This is just my experience. But uh, he just he did not do as well on that grain free food. Mm-hmm. Uh, those pointers are just really high octane, and him in particular, he does great on high protein food sure. uh, for hunting. So. As far as how much I feed them, it depends on their activity level. Um, I just kind of, you know, if I see they're getting a little chubby, I maybe cut them back a half right. a cup. <laughs> uh, so in the fall, we feed generally twice a day. I'll give them maybe like a third of a ration. So they they usually get, so on average, they get three cups a day. Sure. Um, in the fall, they probably get four. So I'll give them like a cup cup or cup and a half in the morning before we hunt um and then i'll feed them like almost right after we get done hunting uh either right when right when we get in the car if it's a long drive home or uh, when we get home for the evening but i like to during hunting season especially when it's warm i like to float their food put some water in the bottom just gives them a little extra hydration making sure that they're drinking um and otherwise like the rest of the year we feed our dogs once a day, actually, and they do really well on that. Uh, I know some people some people think that's mean. <laughs> my, right. my parents included. They're like, what? You only feed your dog once a day? It's right. like, well, they seem like they're doing fine, but yeah. um, it just they seem to do well that way. The other thing I've noticed, too, is if you, especially if it's warm in the early season, if you feed your dog too close to when you're going to hunt, I've run into issues where they just, you know, they're sluggish or maybe they they puke some of their food up. Right. Um, so we like to, you know, if you're going to hunt, feed them a couple hours before, not right before. Uh, 
Is that, is that all the questions you yeah, No, that's, that's your spot on, and we okay. run into it too. I feed my dogs, you know, a cup in the morning and a cup at night, but that's just because, you know, they're family dogs, and, it, you know, it's um, – my dad was a once-a-time, once-a-day, you know, person mm-hmm. too, and, and he swore by it, and so did my grandpa. And, and uh, But that, that hunt the, – the food in the, the morning, you know, early before you hunt, you know, a couple hours is a big thing. I see it happen a lot where you know guys get out of the truck and we're guys and gals and we're gonna go hunt and they dump a bunch of food in those dogs and it's just like oh they just ate a steak you know how do you feel yep. after you've eaten and you don't want to go tromp around you know 10 miles and um so that that's a really good point and and i've got the same issue with with my middle dog with um the red skin and the itchy and and we're we're kind of going through it right now and we've switched back and forth to different foods and we actually have her on some medication now and we're trying to figure out how to get her off that because that's caused a different mm. set of problems but uh, for what it's worth yeah it's just uh she just now she's hungry all the time and she wants to eat everything you know if there's a sock <laughs> or a piece of paper or so oh. yeah it's just kind of really really kind of a strange thing but i'm going to tackle that on a different episode i'm going to talk to some vets but oh, so cool. we're get, getting dogs we're getting through the heat of the summer um how, you know, how do you get those dogs prepared for, you know, opening day? What's, do you have a kind of a set of drills or, or are you keeping track of how much you're taking these dogs out more or how are you getting them, getting them ready for opening day? Well, um, if you're, you know, if you're doing, if you're doing things right, they should be ready to go. But I know that that's not always the case. Right. You know, you get busy family stuff, you know, there's right. fishing's really hot or whatever. Right. Um, What's but your exercise regimen then for your dogs? Let's put it that way. Yeah, so I I try to I try to run them a couple times a week. So I personally like to run, and uh, I'm a little little out of shape after recovering <laughs> this fall. But <laughs> but you know I'm I'm getting my mileage back up there. But you know I would say run anywhere from three to six miles with the dogs, um, and I'll take them out a couple times a week. I know that that's not what a lot of people do or what right. a lot of people are necessarily capable of um, right. with time constraints and stuff. But, you know, even just biking is great because yep. you can, you can get going, you can run those dogs, get them, get them uh, in shape uh, swimming when it's hot. You know, that's a really good one because it's easy on their joints. Uh, you don't have to worry about them overheating. Uh, but, you know, the best time to get them ready for the season is, you know, if you start now and gradually start working up. Um, but if, if if you can't do that even like a month or two be- beforehand, uh, just getting them out even twice a week for a little bit, half hour is all you really need. Right. Um, but that's, you know, that's a big one because not only is your dog overweight and it's not going to have as much stamina, but that can lead to some dangerous implications, uh, especially for early season. Because yep. over, overweight dogs, like overweight people, they don't handle the heat as well. Right. Um, so those dogs that are in better shape, they, they should have already been, you know, kind of running in some of that heat. So they should be a little accum- acclimated. Uh, but those dogs that haven't been exercised and that are overweight, they're going to they're going to struggle and, you know, you can run into some dangerous situations like heat stroke if you're not careful. Um, so it's, it's really important to try and keep them in shape as best you can. Yeah. And that, that can be tough. It is especially, you know, I think the older I get, the tougher it is because I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen you running out by where you live and I'm like, ah, she's crazy. You got your dogs. Going <laughs> and I'm like, 
like oh, that, that poor kid she, she's lost but um you know even for us it's it's there's all these activities and all of a sudden i'm looking at you know august going oh man you know i got a couple dogs that i got to cut back on their weight but i need to you know we need to start hitting it a little harder than we have been and it's it's tough on them and it it like you said it can lead to some problems especially with that heat if you're not careful and especially with labs like i have i mean they're just mm-hmm. they don't deal with it as well as a pointer even does so yeah and you know the other thing too is even if you're just going for a walk um we can all use some more exercise you know it's it's that's kind of the honest truth is right. every little bit you can do you're going to be in better shape for hunting season your dog's going to be in better shape so even if you think oh it's only it's only 15 minutes it's only 20 minutes yep. that's 20 minutes of not sitting around 20 minutes of you know getting your heart rate up getting the dog's heart rate up and it's every little bit you can do will help right so what did i miss what what's the elephant in the room that you're like god he's dumb why didn't he ask that question (laughs) (laughs) um let's see well hillary is not afraid to call somebody dumb she's done oh no a hundred times especially (laughs) not you (laughs) uh let's see well the one thing that i that i was thinking of when you were talking about fetching um and having issues there is one thing that that i never really realized before I started working with some of these uh, more serious and some of the professional trainers is um, what they call condition retrieve. And that has been a game changer for me. Holy cow. Uh, You know, you you do all your obedience training, your sit, stay calm. Mm -hmm. uh, You do all your, your drills or whatever. But like you're talking about, what happens when your dog just gives up and doesn't want to fetch? Or we have a, a, a lab right now who likes to we call it the bucking bronco he goes and retrieves something and he likes to parade it around in front of you like a bucking bronco right um you know what do you do with that and that is where you know working with some of these trainers is that condition retrieve program boy did that that just shored up all the obedience issues that i had it's it's certainly not a like a fix all i would say but Mm -hmm. um just working with that dog and, and teaching them to retrieve. And so just to kind of explain what that is without going into too much detail, because it is fairly involved and technical, but um, this con- condition retrieve, you take a dog and you put them on a table, like what I was describing earlier, mm-hmm. or any elevated surface really. And you just start, I start with just a leather glove on my hand and you, you put your hand in their mouth and they're going to probably fight you. Um, and you just you just hold on, not not hard, just hold on to their bottom jaw, and as soon as they relax, you you let go. So you're rewarding that r- relaxed feeling uh, for them, and for them to hold something in their mouth. So you're basically using um, touch, your hand, sure. uh, different sensations to teach them to hold things in their mouth. And you go through tons of iterations of this with uh, with a glove, and then you start with um, I use a wooden dowel so that especially labs they tend to be a little not all of them but some of them are a little bit more hard mouthed, and so they'll bite down on it. So I start with a wooden dowel, and then you move to like a bumper, and um, just work your way up to all sorts of stuff. And by the end, you you point at something on the ground, and they should go pick it up. And it is it's the best thing because boy, you really shore up all their obedience. Um, you, you, you can get them to retrieve anything. Uh, and that's, I will f- probably do condition retrieve with every single lab that I own, whether they love to retrieve or not. Hmm. 
That's that's interesting. But while you're doing this on this on the table and like this conditioning stuff, you're not talking to them even either, are you? No. No. Nope, no. I don't even use. Nope. I don't even use the fetch command. Um, so it's it's just conditioning them to hold something until you tell them not to basically so but yeah you're not telling them literally you're just as soon as they relax you're pulling that out yep and yep then, you're rewarding their response right. yep. and even even with like a dowel you graduate up to that dowel as soon as they they're not chomping on it they're not thrashing their heads back and forth as soon as they chill out then you're pulling it out and then you do that how often do you do that how long of a of a session do you do that yeah that so the condition retrieve that's a pretty uh, big time commitment. So it, it you can do it. The best thing to do is like five minutes, four or five times a day. But even if you can only do it twice a day, like before work, after work, um, yeah, five minutes at a time. That's something that's it's very intense mentally for the dog. It's not very physically challenging, mm-hmm. but uh, that you don't need much to to start working on that. And honestly, like this sounds crazy, but I've seen it happen. You've seen some of the most obstinate dogs when you're going through this condition retrieve program, and it's so mentally taxing for them to give up control of their mouth that they were just pancakes at the end. They were just done. You know, and this is a dog that could easily run 15 miles and not bat an eye, but they were so wore out from that mental stimulation. They were just conked out. It was so cool. Huh. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I guess I know what I got to do with this young dog of mine. Thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now I'm just making your to-do list better. Got to right. start running. Got to start condition yeah. retrieves. Yeah, my life coach, Hillary. Awesome. Oh boy, that's scary. Cool. Well, um, trying to think what else. What else I might have missed, and I mean that I've learned a lot. So I'm assuming everybody listening has learned as well. I thank you for your time. Um, yeah, I can't think of really anything else unless you got anything. Um, it... No, not really. I mean, you know, as as much as this as what I'm saying, it's it's a lot and it's a lot to do. But every little bit you can do with your dog, even if it's just making them sit before you let them outside, they're right. going to be a better dog for it. Right. And get, give me the names of some of that literature that, or some of the books that you you really like, or like the schools of thought that you like on this. Yeah, so the the schools of thought that I kind of follow uh, would be Hunt Smith method. So that's Rick and Ronnie Smith. Um, they've got a website up with a, a couple good uh, articles, I guess they are. Um, the other one, and it sounds kind of crazy, but Caesar Milan. Like what? I always thought his shows, I'm like, whatever, this guy is so full of it. And he's just doing it for the camera, but he's he's a real deal. Like he's got some good stuff. Um, and his books are good because they're very similar to the Huntsmith where it's that condition response that you're working on. You're learning how to communicate with the dog, the way the dogs think. Um, so yeah, those are the two, two primary influences for me, but I've also, there's a couple dog psychology books actually that, that I've read and I don't remember them off the top of my head, but I can get those to you that were really good. And that's just like explaining some of the dog behavior where it's like, Oh, that's why they do what they're doing. You know, they're not being, they're not being obstinate on purpose. That's just how their brain works. Right. Cool. So I'll, yeah, I'll get you those titles too. Cool. And I'll just put them in the, in the uh, liners for the, for the podcast. Cool. Well, Hillary, I, I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate your time. Can't wait to see you back at work. Um, and if it quits raining and you kill a turkey, send me a picture. 
All right, I will. Awesome. Thank you for your time, and have a good one, kid. Bye. Next afternoon, roll back to my car. Well, that's all I've got for this edition of the South Dakota Game, Fish, and Parks podcast and blast. Currently, it is a beautiful early May day, so that means fishing, but it also means Mother's Day. Yeah, this Sunday is Mother's Day, so you better get something special lined up. We do have uh, free fishing and park entrance this Sunday to celebrate Mom. So about the coolest way you can celebrate Mom and tell her that you love her is to take her out fishing, take her out to one of our awesome parks, and go out and have some fun. Um, maybe even bring some fish home for supper and make dad clean them and fry them. So, uh, everybody stay well, stay safe. And until next time, thanks for listening. Privacy.